we'll go ahead and dismiss our kids this morning to Kids Church. <clears throat> this morning, as we continue to walk through the book of 1 Samuel, uh, you may have noticed uh, it took us about three or four years to get through the book of Matthew, which is 28 chapters. The book of Samuel is 31 chapters, and we're almost done. And it's been, it's, we started right around Easter last year, so we are moving at breakneck speed. Uh, we are almost done. We, we should be done uh, right around Easter. Uh, so we will have made record time on the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning at the book of 1 Samuel chapter 27. And I'm going to read through the chapter, and I'm going to, I'm going to try and unpack and try and summarize the, the story, the narrative of, what, of what's going on. So as I read through it, don't be, don't be discouraged that whenever I get to the end of chapter 27, you're like, okay, what? So, so, so <clears throat> just stay with me. Stay with me, and I'm going to try and unpack this for us. 1 Samuel chapter 27. Then David said to himself, or said to his heart, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of searching for me anymore in all of the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and and the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. David lived with Achish, the son of Gath, and he and his men, and each one with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreel, the the Carmelite, Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, For now I have found favor in your sight. Let them give me a country that I may live there. For for why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag had belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Gersherites and the Gizrites and the Amalekites, for they were inhabitants of the land from ancient times. And as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt, and David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive, and he took away the sheep and the cattle and the donkeys and the camel and the clothing, and he returned... And they came to Achish. Now Achish said, Where have you made a raid today? And David said, Against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the, Jer- of the Jerahamites, against the Negev of the Kenites. And David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell about something, saying, David has done and has been, and has been his practice all the same as he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David saying, he has, surely made himself, he has surely made himself odious among his people in Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, Lord, may we see the humanity of David. May we see him in the light of your scriptures as a man in need of great grace. And may we see ourselves in need of that same grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that as you leave today, that you will marvel at the great grace of God. 
I've titled this message, The Folly of the Weary. Now, David has been running from Saul. He has been escaping by the skin of his teeth for the last nine chapters. And what happens here, as we get to the very beginning of this text, David starts off by saying, I must take matters, I must take my protection, I must take my providence into my own hands because God is not able to protect me. Therefore, if we notice, go back to verse 1, I want you to see what David says. He begins this chapter. He begins this chapter in verse 1. And David said to himself, the, the, the actual Hebrew says, David says to his heart. How many of you have ever said to your heart? Have you ever talked to yourself? Does anybody have a conversation with themselves? I argue with myself all the time. Most of the time I lose the argument. <laughs> David said to his heart, he, he said he is speaking to his soul, he's speaking to his heart, and he says, he says, I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now what has David experienced over the last chapters? Time and time again, Saul seeks to kill him. Saul takes a spear, throws it at his head. He sends his goons after him. He, he, he does everything in his power. He has all of, the, all of the disposal of the Israelite army, the Israelite uh, kingdom at his disposal, and he has tried to destroy and tried to kill David. And time and time again, God has provided for him. God has protected him. God has redeemed him. God has shown him great grace through Abigail. Time and time again, God's demonstrated himself trustworthy faithful to protect and provide for David. But David is tired. And as we read the story, it makes for a captivating narrative. But it is very wearisome for the actual person that is experiencing the trials and the tribulation. We've heard it said through scriptures James chapter 1, uh, verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulations. Sorry, I didn't give you this one, Chris. Uh, It it just happened that way. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have have its perfect result, that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. God gives us trials and tribulations so that we may produce endurance. And sometimes in our lives where we say, you know, I don't really need that much endurance. I'm okay. I'm okay without the perseverance, right? You've heard the scripture says in Hebrews that that the father chastens or disciplines those whom he loves. How many of you wish that God didn't love you quite so much? You know, we, 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 I I know this firsthand. I I can experience this that, that you know what? Sometimes I'm okay not having endurance. I'm okay not being loved. I don't want to experience the trials and the tribulation. I don't want to be chased by Saul. I don't want to experience the protection and the providence of God firsthand. Let's let somebody else experience it for a change. Amen? Especially for, you know, I, I know that there are many here who very recently have, have, have gone through 
you know, the floods in 2016. And right on the heels of the, of the floods, we have, you know, personal tragedy in our lives. We have the loss of loved ones. We have, we have you know, the, the, our family situation goes haywire. And, you know, you, you get through one obstacle, you get through one trial, and you can barely catch your breath before another wave hits you. And it seems like over and over and over. And, and, and you just say, Uncle, I, I, I give up. I am tired. I am weary. This is where David was. This is where he was. He has been, he has been, now now keep in mind, he is an heir, he is the next king of Israel. He is going to be, in just a few chapters as we get into 2 Samuel, David is going to be the most powerful, most wealthy, most influential man in all of Israel. Yet he's hiding in a cave. Yet he's running for his life. And he has been doing so for nine chapters. It seems that there is no end to the trials, to the hardships, to the tribulation. Can anybody identify with David? I know at times in my life I can. It seems like there is no end. And so David says this. He says, he says I have to find relief, so I'm going to Philistine. I'm going to Gath, the birthplace of Goliath. Ironic? David seeks refuge in the enemies of God. David leaves Israel, and his actions communicate this. God, I know you've protected me, provided for me, saved me, demonstrated grace and mercy, for the last nine chapters. I know your faithfulness is evident in my life, but I have to take matters into my own hands. I have to take my protection into my own hands. And so this is what David does. He he leaves Israel, and he goes to Gath, and he goes to the the, the king of Gath, and he says, hey, I heard that, that, that you may need a mercenary. I heard that you may need someone to go to battle on your behalf. I have 600 trained soldiers and we are willing to do battle for you. We are for hire. The only thing I request is that you let me have my own dwelling place so that I'm not under your thumb. He says, hey, fine. I'll give you this this country. I'll give you this region called Ziklag. And your your commission, your your." Mission is to go go across the Negev, go into the land of Judah and raid the people of Judah. David said, I can do that. But he tells Achish, I'm going to raid the people of Judah and he raids the Philistines. And he destroys the camp of the Philistines. But not only does he destroy the camp of the Philistines, but he completely wipes them out. Because he cannot, he cannot take the chance that that word gets back to Akish that he's double-crossing him. He says, I can't run the risk that Akish figures out that I'm not going into Judah and slaughtering Israelites, but I'm going into Philistine and slaughtering Philistines. I can't run that risk. So we are going to take the spoils of war, but we are going to kill all of the men, all of the women, all of the children. And it is a brutal, murderous task that David takes upon himself. And he takes the spoils of war and he goes and he gives it to Akish. 
and he says, see, I have, I have betrayed my own countrymen, and I have, here's the spoils of war, and I've given them into your hand. And because he has slaughtered all of the Philistines, word never gets back to Achish. David has single-handedly, single-handedly taken his protection and providence into himself. Saul is no longer looking for him. Saul says, he's in the Philistines camp, let him go. Let him be, they'll take care of him. His plan works, but at what cost? So let's look at the text. David says in verse 1, David says to his heart, I will perish by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better to me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. David says, I must seek shelter. God cannot protect me. I believe that David is an archetype for all of humanity. Because I believe that every one of us from time to time has had that crisis of faith. Even after God has demonstrated himself faithful, demonstrated himself providential, demonstrated himself to be a keeper of his promises, we come to the point where we say enough is enough. I've got to take matters into my own hand. God cannot protect me from this. Yes, He has saved me from from this trial. Yes, He has delivered me from this hardship. Yes, He has proved Himself faithful time and time again. But this is too much for God. I believe that David is a, a demonstration of all of us. He is a archetype for all of humanity. David says, I must seek shelter. I must seek my own protection and my own provision because God cannot protect me. But I want to point out to you a scripture. Psalm 118, verse 6 says this, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know who wrote that? David. Yet here in 1 Samuel... David is so fearful for his own life that he runs into the hands of the enemy. Yet he writes, the Lord is for me, what can man do to me? Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, Paul writes this, and I want us to, to meditate on this for just a few moments. He says, for by him, him being Christ, by him all things were created, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, whether visible and invisible. So let's let's think about that for just a moment. The things that we see were created by God. The things that we do not see, the powers, the dominions, the angelic forces, the demonic forces, all things, whether thrones, whether kings, whether governments, whether dominions, whether rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Him. Christ created them all, and they are all created for him, they are all in subjection to his authority. So, what does this mean? This means that every authority, whether on earth or outside of this earth, 
whether heavenly or earthly, every authority, every kingdom, every power is subjected to the authority of Christ. Jesus is sovereign over all. Jesus is king. He is king over Saul. He has dominion over the Philistines. He has dominion over Gath. He has dominion over the Russians. He has dominion over Satan. There is no one, no thing, no dominion, no ruler, no kingdom, no government that is not in subjection to Christ. And because of that, we can trust Him. You say, but preacher, I am tired. I am weary. Let us avoid the folly of the weary. David takes matters into his own hands, and he does so because he speaks to his heart things that are not true. Look at verse 1. Chapter 27, verse 1. David says to himself, David says to his heart, I will perish by the hand of Saul. The Hebrew, we, we, don't, we don't pick this up in the English because it's just, it's not there in the English. But the language of chapter 27, verse 1, is the exact same language that we see in chapter 26 whenever David tells his people, He says, we don't need to kill Saul because the Lord will dispose of Saul. Remember in chapter 26 when David and Abinadab is standing before Saul and and, and Abinadab says, here it is, let's let's kill him. I'll take my spear and I'll shove it through his skull and and, and the end, we won't have to worry about Saul anymore. And David says, no, the Lord will dispose of him. The Lord will take care of him. It's the exact same language when he says, one day by the hand of Saul I will perish. It's the exact same language. What David is saying just a chapter later, just a few verses later, he's saying the Lord will take care of Saul. Now he's saying Saul will take care of me. Saul will dispose of me. That's what he is saying to his heart. He is speaking to his heart. He is speaking to his mind. He is speaking to his soul things that are not true. How many of you know that your heart will lie to you? Your emotions, as real as they are, they will tell you things and they will speak things to yourself that are not true. They will tell you, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, look at what you've done. They will tell you, you don't deserve this. Look at who you are, look at the mistakes you've made. Our emotions lie to us. That is why God tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Why? Because our understanding, our emotions are subject to to lies, to untruth, to half-truth, to deceptions, to perversions. Because we are human. We are fallible. 
And that's why we understand in John chapter 17, Jesus says to the Father in the high priestly prayer, He says, sanctify them in truth. Talking about His disciples. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word, your word is truth. Whenever our emotions lie to us, we must speak the truth of God's words to ourselves. We must remind ourselves not of what our emotions tell us. We must remind ourselves of what the Word of God tells us. We must remind ourselves of what it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. The blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But what? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He doesn't listen to the emotions in his head. He doesn't respond to the feelings that, that, that his body and that his mind, that his emotions are telling him. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And, and, and what happens when his delight is in the law of the Lord? What happens when he meditates, when he speaks truth to his heart? Then he will be like a tree planted firmly by streams of water who yields its fruit in season and out of season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, it prospers. Why? Because he speaks truth to his heart. David takes matters into his own hand because he listens to his own emotions. Your emotions lie to you. Your emotions tell you things that are not true. They tell you, if, if, if my friends, if my loved ones really knew who I was, if they really knew what was going on in my, in my mind, if they really knew my heart, then, then they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't accept me. Our emotions tell us that, that, that I'm a sinner. I am, I am worthless. I'm, I'm not deserving of grace. And you're right about that. But regardless of what we deserve, God gives us grace. He gives us mercy because He loves us. Our, our, our emotions tell us that, that, that we're not worthy. But God's Word tells us that we are sons and daughters of the King. We must speak truth to our hearts. David spoke to his heart a lie. He said, if I stay in Israel, Saul will kill me. Yet the truth of Scripture proves that time and time again God had protected him, God had provided for him. David's plan worked. Saul was no longer after him. David was free from Saul, but now he was a murderer. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon that we must do God's will, God's way. David was free from Saul. He says, The ends justify the means. But I contend the ends do not justify the means. The will of God is more than just escaping Saul. The will of God is more than just enduring the hardship. The will of God is more than just surviving to the next day. We must do God's will, God's way. As you read this text, does anybody have an internal struggle with what's going on with David? Anybody? Anybody read this and say, wait a second, I thought David was the good guy. Anybody? I know I do. I read this and I was like, wait a second. 
You know, Saul's supposed to be the murderer. Saul's the one who killed all the priests. Saul's the one who slaughtered entire, entire people groups. And now David, the king, the hero, he's supposed to be the good guy. And now we see David doing the exact same thing. There ought to be a conflict within us. I know, personally, I read this and I'm like, wait a second. How in the world can David be the good guy? I thought David was a man after God's own heart. I thought David was the anointed. David was the chosen king of Israel. He is. So what this tells us, what this tells us is that the hero is not David, but it's God. Who is the deliverer of Israel? It's not David. It's God. As David slung that stone and embedded into the forehead of the giant. And David runs over and draws his own sword and cuts off his head. Who is the slayer of the giant? Well, we say, well, David. But was it not God who guided that stone? Was it not God who empowered David? Was it not God who gave David the strength to do the impossible? God is the deliverer. God is the hero, not David. I believe This text teaches us more than anything that we must be careful not to place our faith and our hope in the instruments of God, in the tools of God, to place our hope and our faith in the God who uses those tools. We must be careful not to place our hope and our faith in human instruments because as we see through David, as we see through Moses, as we see through Paul, as we see through all of the biblical characters and even those forefathers of the church, even those godly men who have, who have founded the church, even those godly men who have given their life for the cause of Christ, they're mere men. They're human. And I can promise you, if you place your faith in a man, he will fail you every time. The hero is not David, but the hero is God. So here we come to this dilemma. We're frustrated. We're, We're conflicted. We want to love David. We want to see David as the hero. But we can't. And so then we have the tendency to get angry, to get frustrated, maybe at God. How could God choose this man, David? How could God protect this man, David? How could God provide for this man, David? After all, look at what he did. And we have the, we have the benefit not only of seeing what David does here in 1 Samuel chapter 27, but see what David will do in 2 Samuel when he will send his army off to battle and he will take Bathsheba as he's already got a couple of wives. He says, that's not enough. I want that one too. And he takes Bathsheba for his own. And whenever she comes to him and says, hey, David, you know when you took advantage of me? Well, I'm pregnant. He says, we'll take care of this. I'll send Uriah to the front lines and we'll have him killed. Then John, I'm sorry, then Nathan comes to David and says, David, What should be done of this man who who commits this awful crime? And David said, that man should be killed. And Nathan says, that man is you. We are able, we have the benefit of knowing what takes place further in David's life. We see his, 
his humanity. We see his sinful heart. We see his wickedness. And we say, how can God choose a man like this? How can God use a man like this? How can God protect a man like this? How can God continue to provide for a man like this? Look at how wicked and how evil and how how deceitful he is. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 gives us some insight into the God who chooses a man like David. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But that's not the end. Look at verse 9. Much more, having now been justified by His blood, what shall we be saved from? The wrath of God through Him? For if while we were enemies of God, while we were those who hated God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The Scripture tells us where sin abounds, Christ abounds that much more. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We get this list of of, of sinfulness. And then Paul says, And such were some of you. You were all liars, thieves, adulterers. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 20 of Romans. He says, The law came that transgression, that sin would increase. But where sin increased, what? Grace increased abounded all the more how could god take david a liar a cheat a murderer i want us to wrap our brains what took place in first samuel chapter 27 david goes into these cities and david doesn't send his men to slaughter david walks into the cities himself and by the sword remember this is not this is not a time where there are guns and there are explosions where you can you can sit from a distance and kill everybody David walks in, sword in hand, and kills women and children to protect his own, to protect his own himself, to protect his own men. He puts himself before the lives of women and children. David screwed up. David fell into the folly of listening to his own emotions. And we ought to be conflicted. We ought to say, how can God choose this man? How can God protect this man? How can God save this man? How can God deliver this man? How can God anoint this man as the king? How can God save me? How can God protect me? How can God provide for me? Am I not just as wicked and deceitful and dishonest as David? Jeremiah says the heart is above all else deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Let us be careful not to criticize the potter But let us marvel that the potter works with such clay. 
It's easy to criticize David. It's easy to get frustrated and angry when we see the failures of our heroes. It's just as easy to get angry and frustrated with God that He chooses to use such such putrid people. But I pray that as we leave here today that we would marvel, that we would not be frustrated and angry with the God who demonstrates such grace, but we would marvel at the grace that God gives us. That even when we are frustrated and we are sick and tired of being sick and tired and we take matters into our own hands and we make mistake after mistake after mistake and we listen to our heart and we, we, we speak untruth to our heart and we listen to our own emotions, that God says, I love you anyway and I give you great grace. And I give you great mercy because that's who I am. I'm a God of grace. I'm a God who abounds in loving kindness and judgment is my strange work. So this morning, church, I want you to hear and I want you to see the grace that is found in God. That every one of us can identify with David because we've all been there. We have all been sick and tired of being sick and tired. We have all been weary. We have been, we have, we are, you know what? I wish God didn't love me quite so much. And when we're there, we speak lies. We listen to the lies of our heart rather than the truth of God. And when we are there, I want you to hear the message of the gospel. Jesus said, where are they that condemn you? Neither then do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The message of the gospel is that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. The message of the gospel is that Jesus came to die for sinners of whom I am the chiefest. He didn't come for the, the physician, didn't come for the well, for they don't need a physician. He came for the sick. He came to seek and save those who are lost. This morning, if you identify with David, God's grace is sufficient. Let's pray. God, we're tired. We're tired. We are hurting. We don't want to have perseverance because it's difficult. We don't want to be disciplined. We know that you discipline those whom you love. Sometimes we wish you just didn't love us quite so much. And in our sin in our weariness we make stupid mistakes we do things just like David we take matters in our own hands we forget that you've been faithful we take matters into our own hands if that's you this morning Maybe you need to come to this altar and just thank God that He is gracious. Maybe for the first time this morning, you realize that God loves you and He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. But His grace, His mercy is extended to even you. You say, but preacher, I don't, you don't know what I've done. No, but I know what David did. 
and there's no way anything that you have done can surpass the sinfulness of David. And yet God gave him grace. And if God can give David grace, God can give you grace. God demonstrated his great love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you need this morning to find grace, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning God's calling you to be part of what we're doing right here at Redeemer. Maybe this morning God's calling you to follow in obedience by being baptized. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, may, may He find you obedient. God, may we experience your grace here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.